in the churchy world, we're uh, globally partway through a, a, a time of the year that uh, churchy people call Lent. And uh, Lent, the idea around Lent is that, that people who call themselves followers of Jesus would actually intentionally uh, use the, the days and weeks leading up to Easter to prepare ourselves. And uh, never fails to amaze me that some Christians uh, spend more time in their lead up to Easter ranting about the outrage they feel over the fact that Woolies uh, put out hot cross buns as early as February. And, um, and, and that's their form of preparation for Easter. Now, here's the thing. If that's you, you need to know, Jesus did not die on a hot cross bun. Jesus did not die eating a hot cross bun. In fact, Jesus did not die for the saving of hot cross buns. I'm pretty confident he doesn't even have an opinion on hot cross buns. They are raisin toast kind of bunched together. The real important thing for you and I in the lead up to Easter is to prepare our hearts. Because here's the, the challenge. Now, the challenge on the one end of the spectrum is if, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, then the Easter story, you may not even have any knowledge of it. And that's okay, that's not your fault. It may be breaking news. And uh, over the next few weeks, uh, we'd encourage you to hang around, be here on Friday of the Easter weekend, be here on Sunday of the Easter weekend. And we're gonna drill into the story of Easter. And I can uh, assure you, spoiler, it's more than just bunnies and eggs. Now, the other hand, the other end of the spectrum, there's a real danger that if you've been following Jesus for several years, that the Easter story will become, has the potential to become overly familiar, overly passe, overly sanitized. And so one of the things that we wanna do is to spend these next few weeks around teaching this series, The Bad Boys, Boys of Easter, but more importantly, preparing our hearts so that the, the truth, the, the power, the love that is expressed in the Easter story would become real for us as if we're hearing it for the first time, would actually cause us to have an even greater love for Jesus and even greater commitment to Him and even greater understanding of just how critical it is for us to live in lockstep with Him. And so we're launching this series. Now, this uh, three-week series, The Bad Boys of Easter, there's gonna be quite a lot of historical content. If you're a history boffin right now, you're jacked up. But I need to say though, history boffin or not, the goal of this three-week series is not, the goal is not merely the teaching of history. So you can go to your workplace and, 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 and bother everybody with your extensive knowledge of the, uh, of, the, of the times around when Jesus was crucified. The goal, as always when we teach, is yes, we put out information and we pray that that will become for you revelation. And with that revelation, we, we pray and strongly encourage you to walk out of these doors and do what we call application. And by taking what God has revealed to you and applying 
it in your everyday life that there will be something that Jesus can only do and that's cause transformation. And so the three characters that we're gonna talk about over these three weeks, the reason we're picking on them and calling them the bad boys of Easter is because I believe that there's a little bit of them in all of us. And so the first historical figure I wanna talk around today is a guy named Joseph Caiaphas. Now, Joseph Caiaphas was the Jewish high priest from 18 to 36 AD. Now, the Jewish high priest was, was the most powerful and most influential person in the area of Jerusalem and greater Israel. They had enormous power and enormous influence. Joseph Caiaphas not only had sort of the regular amount of extensive power and influence, he was also part of a family dynasty. In fact, his family had, be, had, had been rotating the role of high priest at this point for 40 years. His father-in-law was a high priest. Five of his brothers-in-law were high priests. And, and they had accumulated collectively enormous power and enormous influence. They'd also accumulated enormous wealth because the temple in Jerusalem that they were the, the bosses of received what was called a temple tax. And the temple tax is, it was required that, that Jews, not just from around Jerusalem, but Jews from every known, part of the known world at the time would send money to the temple. And, 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 and every year in uh, converted dollars, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars would pour in from the known world, from Jewish people into the one temple in Jerusalem. So, so Joseph Caiaphas's family had accumulated enormous power, enormous influence and enormous wealth. To give you some idea of, how, of, of, the, of the, uh, the kind of wealth that was pouring in from the temple tax, Roman governors from the various provinces around Jerusalem tried to pass a law to, to, to exnay the temple tax because so much money was leaving the provinces and being directed into the temple. And, and, and uh, with that, Joseph Caiaphas and his family grew in power and influence and wealth. And things were going swimmingly well for Joseph Caiaphas and his family until a carpenter turned rabbi entered the pages of history. A 30-year-old man named Jesus Josephson. Now I'm aware that, that, that just that very fact up on the screens is, is, is stunning for some of you. Because when you accidentally knock your shin against the coffee table, you do not cry out, Jesus Josephson. <laughs> you, until this point of time, some of you thought his surname was Christ. It wasn't, it was Josephson, which means son of Joseph. His surname wasn't Christ, that was his title. It means the Messiah, it means the anointed one, it means the chosen one. It was the one that the Jewish people for, for centuries and thousands of years had been waiting for. And in the person of Jesus, Josephson came the Christ. Well, Jesus Josephson, he became a problem to Caiaphas and the Jewish rulers of the day. It wasn't his teaching. In fact, it turns out they couldn't even fault his teaching. One of the reasons Jesus Josephson was a problem to Caiaphas was the crowds. See, Jesus went around teaching, healing, prophesying, encouraging, and, and, and on a bad day, hundreds of people would follow him. 
And on a good day, those crowds would swell to over 10,000 people. And, and because of the growing popularity, because of the crowds, Jesus became a problem for the Jewish rulers because they actually felt threatened. They actually wondered if there was the potential for civil war to break out in their province. The crowds were a problem, but it wasn't just the crowds that were a problem for the Jewish rulers. It was the fact that Jesus spent a lot of time criticizing the Jewish rulers. See, we've got this sanitized view of Jesus that he's like the, the gentle Steve Irwin. He just holds animals and, and cuddles them in his hand. Jesus let things rip regularly. If you wanna, in fact, if you wanna see what a Jesus rant looks like, we won't go into it this morning. I don't have time, but look at it for yourself. And Matthew records it in chapter 23. You'll see a pretty savory, a pretty juicy, a pretty no holds barred Jesus rant. I will give you the crescendo though. Jesus ripped into the, the Jewish leaders. He hit them once, then he hit them again verbally, hit them again, then he hit them again, then he hit them again. And, and, and then he said these words to them, you snakes, exclamation mark, you brood of vipers, exclamation mark. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Some of you wouldn't even let your kids talk like this. And this was what he had to say about them. And he didn't say it behind closed doors. He said this out in the open. And yeah, sure enough, this sort of stuff, the fuse had well and truly been lit. But Jesus versus Caiaphas. The final straw wasn't something Jesus said. The final straw was something Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus raised a guy from the dead, a prominent citizen named Lazarus. Many people from the region had been to Lazarus's funeral. Many people from the region had been there watching Lazarus get buried. And then the next day they wake up and who's popping over for coffee? It's flipping Lazarus. This got people's attention. This miracle was over the top. If you've got your Elevate app, you can pop open to the Bible because I wanna take a look at John, some of his recording of this particular moment in history where Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Up to this point, because of the threat that they felt, the Jewish leaders, they, they were trying to, to discredit Jesus. And, and kind of the best trick they had at their sleeve was when he was out teaching, they would, try, they would ask him trick questions to try and trip him up. And if, he's, if he could be discredited, then his influence would reduce and the threat to them would decrease and hopefully eventually be eliminated. John picks the story up right around the time that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We're putting it up on the screens as well to help you follow along. The crowd had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were there giving eyewitness accounts. It was because they'd spread the word of this latest God sign that the crowd swelled to welcoming parade. The Pharisees took one look and threw up their hands. It's out of control. The world's in a stampede 
after him. Caiaphas and his colleagues realised their strategy wasn't working. John says that the high priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Jewish ruling body. Now, (laughs) this was a big deal, calling a meeting of the Jewish ruling body because the parties that made up the Jewish ruling body, they didn't get along. They didn't play well together in the sandbox. This would have been like getting the Liberals and the Labour Party and the Greens and the Nationals and the One Nation Party and the Safer Cycling Party all in a room together at one time and, 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 and having them work on and come to a single unified strategy because of a single unified threat. Think about that. What do we do now, they asked. This man keeps on doing things, Mm. but not just things, creating God signs. Huh. And if we let him go on, pretty soon everyone will be believing in him and the Romans will come and remove what little power and privilege we still have. The Jewish ruling party, they actually recognised and behind closed doors acknowledged that Jesus was acting on God's behalf. And yet they refused to follow Him because of what it would cost them, because of what they would have to let go of. I say this reasonably regularly from the front here so that you won't be misled. When you decide to follow Jesus for the first time, it will cost you something. I know you're not meant to write that on the brochure because that doesn't mark it very well. But if we didn't tell you that and you decide to follow Jesus and you think that life's just gonna be a cruise ship from that moment forward, then when something happens that didn't look like the brochure, the risk is that you're gonna stop following Jesus because it wasn't what you signed up for. When you sign up to follow Jesus, it will cost you something. And here's the thing, when you continue to follow Jesus, there will be circumstances and seasons where it will cost you even more. And we need to understand that, but the Jewish ruling leaders, they didn't wanna give up what they had and start to follow Jesus, even though they recognised who He was working on the behalf of. Singles. This is a challenge for you. This will mean that when you scroll through your Instagram account and you see some beautiful people, but you know that they don't follow Jesus, you're faced with the challenge of cropping them out of your potential future spouse scenario. And they might be better looking than anyone else you know in your current Christian circle. They're probably not, but just the same. You've thought it. You're hanging around the food festival or your, or, your, or your mate's party 
and you're doing the I'm single, let's mingle thing, and, uh, and you meet someone and, and, and there's no app required, there's chemistry flowing immediately, but you decide to ask and you find out that they're not following Jesus. And you say to God, it's okay, God, I got this. I got this. I call it flirt and convert. Uh, <laughs> if you leave it with me, if you leave it with me, this fine specimen of a human will date, will get married, they'll start following Jesus, and then I'll put you first again. What about how some of us approach our financial management? Yeah, God, uh, once we've got the car that will impress our friends, once we live in the suburb that our relatives will be envious of, once I have the television with the appropriate dimensions for football season, once the landscaping's finished, cause you know, curb appeal is so important, even though you live on the inside of the house. Um, once we've done all that God, then you can come back to the front of the queue when it comes to our finances. And the problem is that while we're resisting, we're burning daylight. John said, then one of them, it was Caiaphas, the designated chief priest that year spoke up. Don't you idiots know anything? Can't you see that it's to our advantage? Ooh, that's to, <laughs> this is one of those moments where you wonder like, have you ever done where your brain and your mouth just momentarily disconnected and you said something and you thought, did I just say that out loud? I was only meant to think it. He actually says to them, it's to our advantage that one man dies for the people rather than the whole nation be destroyed. Now, one thing you need to understand is John, when John was writing this, John was now an old man. He was actually writing it on reflection. He was actually writing it decades after it took place. And I'm pretty confident that right in this moment of history, when John's writing down what happened and he, he did it because he was, he was there for some of it, he, he took eyewitness accounts for other things and he's writing this passage in history about what happened behind closed doors that Caiaphas had said, it's to our advantage that one man dies for the people. I reckon John's calling BS on this right here, right now. I reckon he's like, yeah, Caiaphas, seriously, as if your motivation for trying to shut Jesus down was to save the people, really. And John wrote that Caiaphas didn't say this of his own accord, but as chief priest that year, he unwittingly, oops, prophesied that Jesus was in fact about to die sacrificially for the nation. And not only for the nation, but so that all God's exiled, scattered children might be gathered together into one people. And from that day on, they plotted to kill him. They were trying to remove the threat. And yet here we are 2000 years later and one third of the population of our planet profess to follow Jesus. How'd that work for you, Caiaphas? But do you ever wonder what God may be thinking when you and I try to resist Him? Is He scratching His head 
like, I'm single, let's mingle, flirt and convert. <laughs> Do you think he's angry? You idiot. Do you think he's sad? Do you think he's heartbroken? Do you think he's like, why in the world would you try to do life on your own, in your own strength, with your own power, using only your own resources? I, I, I don't understand why you would crop out the author of life from having first place over everything in your world. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. But there are hinge moments in our journey where we have to make some decisions. Jesus did this. Jesus, the man, was praying in a garden not long before he was captured and ultimately crucified. And he, in his humanity, said to God, knowing he was about to be crucified, said to God, God, is there another way? I, I, I get the objective, but, 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 but is there another way? And, 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 and then he said, but here's the deal, God, not my will, but yours. And if this is how you want it, then this is how I'm gonna do it. See, we need to choose between yes, even though it will cost me, or no, because it will cost me. And Caiaphas ran into, having made a decision to kill him, he ran into a little challenge. See, he was a Jewish high priest and there was no precedent under Jewish law to be allowed to kill anybody. There was, however, a well-trodden precedent under Roman law. And so Caiaphas had to find a reason to convince the Romans to have Jesus killed. And he came up with the idea, sedition, that'll get it done. Sedition, because here's the thing, this guy Jesus, excuse me, Mr. Roman people, this guy Jesus, he's walking around claiming to be king. And, and, and that's a threat to you, Rome. And you, Rome, need to do something about this threat, Rome. And so Jesus, Josephson, was nailed to a cross, age 33 and a half. The threat had been eliminated. Well, that was until on the first day of the week after the crucifixion, when someone came running down the corridor to Caiaphas to say, The rabbi we crucified, the body's now missing. A few days after that, reports were flooding in from the area of Jesus' sightings. <laughs> A few weeks later, the 
followers of Jesus who after He'd been crucified were, were barricaded for fear of their lives were now out in the public squares telling people of the eyewitness accounts of having seen Jesus. And they confronted the Jewish rulers and they said to Him, they said to them, you did this, you crucified Him, you killed Him, but now He's risen and I've seen Him. So say you're sorry. Maybe time you might wanna think about submitting to Him, following Him, stop resisting Him. They weren't now just rallying around the person of Jesus who'd gotten enough attention for the three and a half years he'd gone public anyway. They were now rallying around the resurrection of Jesus. If you thought the resurrection of Lazarus was a big deal and that got the crowds humming and that was a threat to you, guys, (laughs) have a look. It was one thing for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead, but now he's flipping raised himself from the dead. Guys, come on up. There's a little Caiaphas in all of us, if we were to be completely honest. See, Caiaphas resisted a God he didn't trust. And yet a mistake that we too often make is we we resist a God that we actually say we do trust. Yeah, I know I should forgive, but... Yeah, I know I should get out of that relationship, but... Yeah, I know I shouldn't go to that place, but... I know I shouldn't spend my money that way, but I know I should be more generous, but, and, and, and you know, the Bible tells you and your heart tells you and your conscience tells you and your wise Jesus following friends who love you tell you. And yet too often, there's still some things that we don't do. And unchurched people, they've got a word for this. They call it hypocrisy. They scratch their heads wondering why so often we don't walk the talk. And so many of you are a bunch of hypocrites. And so am I, because there's a little Caiaphas in each of us. In each of us, there are certain circumstances and situations where we have chosen to resist the God we say we trust. Preservation at all costs becomes our default. We don't wanna let go of that addiction that we know we should quit. We don't want to stop thinking those old ways or those small ways. We don't wanna stop associating with those toxic people. We don't wanna put Jesus ahead of materialism. We don't want to put purpose over popularity. And if I've seen anything as a Jesus follower for 27 years. It's that following Jesus will cost you something, but resisting Him will cost you even more. And here's what I want us to do on week one of the Bad Boys of Easter as we prepare our hearts and our lives in the lead up to the Easter weekend, to the celebration of this incredible miracle. What is it? right now, what is it that you know that you've chosen to resist 
rather than trust, where you're more concerned about what it will cost you than putting Jesus in first place. And I don't want us to leave this building this morning without the opportunity to offer that up. And I'm convinced that God can do more in a minute than He can do in 10 years of counselling. And I love counselling and I recommend counselling and I don't think it's an either or thing, but here's the thing, when God connects with you, well, God can cleanse you in an instant. So think about something right now. It might not be every one of you, it probably is. It might not be every one of you that's got something, it probably is. It might not be every one of you that's got something that you've been resisting, but some of you have. And, and, and my job this morning hasn't been to name and shame. My job's been, let's put it on the table and let's say, God, yep, call it. God already knew. So, you know, hiding things under the table from God's like the kid playing hide and seek with his feet sticking out from under the curtain. What is it? What is it? And if you're ready, if you're ready to give that up, if you're ready to let that go, if you're ready to, to, to count the cost, how about you stand right now? How about you stand with that in your heart? In fact, let's all stand. But those of you that, that know that this morning is your hinge moment, that you would say like Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. That you'd wanna put Him first from today in that area and not hold on to it so tightly. Stand and